Hey and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I'm going to rant about ransomware again. Why are we talking about ransomware again? Because another organization has been hit. This time it's Redcar and Cleveland Borough Council who have suffered a cyber attack that is uh, likely the the cause there being being ransomware. There's very, very few details out uh, for this one. So I'm going to have possibly have a few allegedly's and it appears to be in this episode. But I'm going to talk about ransomware because there's a, there's a few things that I think have come up uh, recently, in the discussion around recent attacks like uh, Red Car and Cleveland Council and like the TravelX attack, where maybe some of the details of ransomware aren't, you know, coming through appropriately. Maybe there's a couple of details that, that people uh, haven't thought of. Uh, and also, I think one of the things that's worth looking at in particular for councils and, and other government organizations being hit is what's the wider impact of this? This being distinct from from when a business is hit. If a business is hit, then there, there is a cost to that business. But when, when a council is hit or, or a similar organization, how does that impact people like the residents? So what's happened? Uh, Red County Cleveland Borough Council have uh, announced the fact that a cyber attack has taken place. There's a few quotations online talking about things like the NCSE being aware of the attack, the attack having uh, taken place at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, but so far, a uh, few specific details have come out. But ransomware, everyone knows what ransomware is, right? Uh, the reason that I say that is when I read through these articles from mainstream media organizations like the BBC, um, I always find this this really funny thing. And I, and I guess I'm biased because we work in cybersecurity and presumably anybody who's listening to this podcast either works in security or maybe has um, an IT role and, and therefore security is you know, something that you're aware of. I still see uh, the BBC trying to describe non-technically what ransomware is. And um, I, find, I find that very funny, very funny that we still in 2020 need to do that. That, that maybe these organizations, these uh, media organizations feel that ransomware isn't well known enough about yet that people would just inherently know what it is. Um, and I also find it funny because it's it's quite a difficult thing to, to accurately describe without going with these kind of general statements that some of the media uh, describe. One organization saying ransomware involves scrambling IT systems and demanding a monetary payment, which is accurate, I guess, and doesn't use particularly technical terms, but don't think it adds much value. Just something I was thinking of. Do, do people, do the general public know about ransomware? It's been around for a long time. It's over 30 years old as a concept now. The first ransomware that, that I'm aware of, the one I usually have as my go-to example, uh, the AIDS Trojan was 1989. So it's a very, very old kind of attack, but people aware of what ransomware is? There's been enough organizations hit with ransomware now. This is not the first organization hit. It is certainly not even the first council hit, nor the first company or organization this year. So I'm very surprised if the general public don't have a vague understanding of what it is, even if that vague understanding doesn't go much past IT systems being scrambled. I'd be curious to to know uh, your opinions on this, though. If you're listening in, um, do, you, do you think people know what ransomware is? Or, or are you finding in your organization when you're having those security chats, you'd need to explain what it is to non-technical staff? I'd be curious about that.
But uh, another thing that, that's come out from from this uh, attack is again the the attack taking place, or, or, or rather, uh, the deployment of the um, the payload happening at an inopportune moment. So the the time that that I've seen for this was eleven a.m. on Saturday, the eighth of February. So a couple of weeks ago now, from when I'm recording this, certainly a few weeks ago from when you're hearing this, but. Um, 11am on a Saturday. We saw this with the Travelex breach. I mentioned that in, in the last podcast saying that, that uh, the, the payload deployment, maybe not the start of the attack, but the payload deployment being uh, December 31st, an inopportune moment for organizations to deal with it. Why would the, the threat actors hit at 11am on a Saturday? Well, you can presume there's going to be less IT staff available. They're going to be reduced staffing and maybe that would allow the attackers to get away with a bit more either being a bit more blatant in their actions or maybe just the response from the company being a little bit slower so they can make sure that the, the attackers can make sure that they get their payload deployed to every machine that they would like to. So that's a thing to consider as an organization. If you're thinking about not only ransomware attacks, but, but attacks in general, when are your inopportune moments and is there any way that you can mitigate that risk? I think for most companies, the weekend is probably going to be a time of low staffing. But depending on your sector, there might be other times as well. If you work in gambling, then maybe the weekend of the Grand National is going to be a big time for you. Whatever, there'll be something contextually specific. But, but how do you deal with that if an attack takes place um, at that time? I think traditionally, a lot of the companies that, that I have dealt with through incident response uh, have dealt with this um, bad timing, weekends, you know, uh, things like that, by having a call-out list. And it's always been if an attack takes place, you call these people in this order, this person is responsible for, you know, standing up the incident response plan or, or standing up the business continuity plan and, and getting people involved. And that has worked just fine for quite a while. But now the the speed in which these attacks are becoming evident, you know, by the time you've got everybody from your call-out list aware that an attack has taken place, is it too late? An extreme example to justify that point would be the, the NotPetya attack of, of 2017. That that came shortly after WannaCry, if you're not familiar with NotPetya. Um, the entire attack lasted about 90 minutes from deployment of payload to machines being ransomware. So if your organization's reliance is a call-out list, maybe that's not going to work. I see a lot of comments online. I'm reading these uh, media articles, scrolling down to the comment section, a lot of people saying things like... Um, Oh, ransomware is easy to deal with. You you just restore backups. I am strongly not convinced by that. Uh, for one thing, some of these ransomware attacks we're seeing are um, manually deployed. There are attacking groups like SamSam, for a good go-to example, who target organizations, break in, pick the time in which they want to deploy the payload, and, and then deploy that payload. My, my point here is if these attacks are manual... The attackers will be aware that backups may exist and they may take action to make the backups ineffective. They may infect the backups. We don't, in my experience, see that that frequently, uh, but simply destroying the, the backups and making them unavailable for some of the reason has definitely been a factor of other attacks. So just, you know, staying restore from backup is not necessarily uh, as easy an answer as it might initially seem. Second thing to consider is, even if your organization has backups that are up to date, how quickly can you restore? Do you have a disaster recovery site that you can imme immediately swap to and everything comes back online and you're down for a couple of minutes? 
Or are you talking about recovering from tape backup, which can take a huge amount of time, presuming the tapes work? So I don't think just saying restoring from backup is um, necessarily helpful. Yeah, hey, ransomware, we've talked about it a lot. It's a bad thing, right? One of the points that I wanted to draw out from the, the council being hit, or other councils being hit, like I said, this is not the only one that we've seen, is... Um, what is, what is the wider impact for, for residents? I mean, for one thing, there's the stereotype of, of councils don't have huge budgets, right? So I see a lot of people worrying online in the comment section saying, does this mean our council tax is going to go up? That's one thing to possibly be concerned about. But um, what services do the council actually provide that might be impacted by a ransomware attack? I see a lot of people in this instance worrying about things like, will the council be able to process council tax payments? And if they can't, are people going to have the inconvenience of being, uh, you know, charged at late fees or, or sent court summons for not paying the bills when, as far as they were concerned, they, they were going to, but the systems were unavailable. In in this case, I have seen one statement that said um, it won't be a problem for Red Current Cleveland Borough Council because uh, a third-party website manages that. So in this particular instance, it, it, it's not an issue, but it's, it's a thing to consider for for wider council attacks, what services are councils providing and, and what kind of impact would that have on, on local residents? It, it could be really significant. So I, I think the, the, the thing here, what I'm, what I'm trying to draw out is, it, you know, we're not talking about a business taking a hit on their profits or a business taking a hit on their share price. You know, this is um, impacting the community. It's impacting essentially residents who are uninvolved here. And that's possibly a lot worse. I, I remember a long time ago, um, Somebody said something to me that was laughable at the time, but I could kind of see the underlying point for it. And hopefully you'll you'll see the point I'm trying to draw here. But back in 2011, when Lulsec were having their party across the internet, um, targeting websites, stealing data, posting it online, Lulsec, they hit a lot of organizations and those organizations were, were, were pretty distinct. They hit um, Sony a couple of times. They hit um, PBS, the, the uh, American media company. Had a lot of different companies um, caused a, a big impact there. And a part of that story coming out was that the UK government consider major organized cybercrime to be a tier one threat to national security. There's three tiers of threat. Tier one is the worst. An example of a tier two threat is like a biological attack by a nation state, right? So saying... A tier one threat is, is significant, and it, and it sounds kind of crazy. Certainly when you see, you know, a private company hit by ransomware, it's like, you know, is organized cybercrime that bad? Well, when it's impacting residents, it, it possibly could be. I'm not saying that taking down one council is going to cause major nationwide disruption, but you can kind of see how the, the um, national risk from cyber attacks is possibly a little bit broader than, than we maybe consider it to be. I see a lot of... Um, Posts talking about nation-state attacks, talking about things like disrupting the power grid. A lot of experts in those fields saying, you know, that's a pretty difficult thing to do for a lot of different reasons. Air-gapped systems, um, fail-safes, those kinds of things. But taking out a selection of councils could have a huge impact. And that's a thing we should be worried about as, you know, as a community, um, as a country. Ransomware is not a new attack. It's not a new concept, and it's something that we're still struggling with. So I think brushing these things off and saying, oh, just restore from backup, it's kind of missing the major point there. What else do we see being announced about this attack? Uh, the council, so talking about Red Car and Cleveland Borough Council here, said that they found no evidence that sensitive personal data may have been stolen. 
Now, I talked about this last time when I brought up ransomware on the podcast. Um, just, you know, saying saying we've found no evidence of this, does this mean this hasn't happened? Or does it mean that, you know, logging wasn't at the level that it should have been and therefore evidence isn't present? It's a really difficult thing. Now, I'm not expecting the council to come out and say things like, hey, hey we just don't know. The handling, the PR side of, of handling a breach is, is very difficult, but it's a thing to consider as we see ransomware attacks developing. Traditionally, attackers have targeted websites, targeted organizations, locked them out of their systems and charged a monetary ransom, whereas they're now seeing attackers looking for other ways to either increase the leverage against an organization or increase their possible payout. So it's a it's a thing to worry about. But um, the, the PR side and the... Um, the handling of the breach is, is critical. And, and these statements and saying, you know, we have no evidence of debt, debt being stolen is really, really difficult. I was talking uh, last week at, at Scott Secure 2020 in, in Edinburgh, and I was talking about brand damage and how that actually works for organizations. And it's, it's, it's maybe a thing to consider. And I, and I used a, a few examples. I talked about Target, TalkTalk, and Equifax being hit by their attacks. Now, they weren't all ransomware, but they were pretty major attacks that I think most people are aware of. Maybe Target's attack being in 2013 has, has led a lot of people to forget what happened or the specifics, but it's a pretty big breach. Um, approximately 40 million payment cards taken, so a significant breach, 2013. TalkTalk got hit, that was uh, 2015, and, and a fairly significant breach that hopefully everyone remembers. That was a SQL injection attack. And then Equifax was hit in 2017. I'm pretty sure everybody won't remembers that one. That wasn't so long ago. But they got, you know, uh, a missing software update. It, it caused their systems to be compromised. And and huge amounts of personal data. It was 150 million records, just, just over 150 million records stolen. So we have these uh, significant breaches that, that are uh, different over different periods of time and are handled in different ways. And one of the things that I was looking at is, are those breaches visible on those organizations' share price. If you bring up Target's share price, can you see on that share price, oh, look, there's the breach. There's when it when it, when it it happened. Because a lot of people warn about brand damage and a lot of people warn about the, the impact against um, organizations in that kind of ephemeral, intangible way. And looking at those attacks, the, for the, to save you the effort of bringing up their share prices, um, for Equifax, you, you can definitely see when the 2017 breach happened. And interestingly, 12 months later, there is a second significant dip in their share price. And one of the things to point out there might simply be, why was there two dips? Now, it, it could be unrelated, but when I was researching the, the Equifax breach, which we've talked about on this podcast, if you want more details, um, check that episode out. We talked to Graham Payne, the uh, former CIO of Equifax, uh, about the breach, but there's a second dip. 12 months after. It's like, why did that happen? Is it unrelated? Is it just poor timing? One of the things that I noticed was 12 months after the breach, a lot of mainstream media start posting articles like 12 months on, what's changed, you know, those kinds of things. Also, you start getting out details of things like um, any fines that might be levied against the organization, uh, any lawsuits that might be levied against the organization. Brand damage can be difficult to quantify because it isn't always immediate. There's sometimes these kind of second waves of brand damage. Um, and also, a lot of it relies on on how well the breach is handled. 
Um, so Equifax is, is certainly a good example uh, to look at their share price and go, hey, that right there is the breach. It's significant uh, as reflected by share price. Uh, and then compare that to Target's uh, 2013 breach. Take a look at their share price over time, do kind of like 2010 to 2020. Um, you can't see it anywhere near to the degree that you can with Equifax. So that's an interesting thing. Certainly for companies who are worried about how it impacts their share price, th there's a couple of takeaways from that, I think. And, and like in, in my opinion here, the big one is the the impact will the impact on on the brand or the share price of your you know brand if you're not publicly trading is greatly impacted in my opinion by how well the breach is handled you know do you do you come out and make statements like we don't know what's happening or do you have you know a single point of contact good pr representation you know this breach is under control it's bad that it happened to us but you know we're, we're working on it that can reduce uh, reduce those impacts this is the thing to consider and whilst we're looking at pr response public relations, you know, is it as easy as just, you know, getting your head of PR to stand in front of uh, a couple of journalists and say, hey, you know what, we've got this all under control? Or is it kind of difficult? Well, in my experience, this is both running through live incidents with organizations, but also tabletop scenarios running through, you know, how would this organization handle um, a breach? One of the things is um, getting the message out. So it's not as easy as just saying, hey, the head of PR will, will stand in front of the journalist and say, you know what, we've got this under control and, and everyone will be happy and we won't see any brand damage and we won't see a significant impact on our share price. Um, how do you even get the message out in a controlled way? So two examples of that, the Travelex breach, where Travelex's initial message on their website said, essentially, the website is down for planned maintenance, which isn't a great opening uh, message. You can imagine that was automated. You take the web server offline and uh, automatically there's a there's a message that says down for planned maintenance. I don't know if that's true, but it, it would it would make sense technically. And and then there's the second thing. So like I said a second ago, I'm looking through these these media articles about this red car in Cleveland Borough Council breach and seeing how people are reacting to it. Uh, and one person pointed out that the council should really send out a letter or email people because, you know, not everyone has social media, not everybody's checking the news for these things, and they, they might not know that there is possibly problems with council services, paying bills, contacting them for, um, you know, trash disposal, those kinds of things, you know. Hey, services are impacted. People might not know that. So how do you get that message out? And this was, uh, that particular comment was um, on, on the, the council's Facebook page, saying, hey, not everybody has Facebook, so, you know, you should consider sending out an email. Sending out an email is difficult if your IT services are down. If you've had a significant ransomware attack, then can you be sure that, you know, email will be available? I remember looking at the TalkTalk Talk breach. There's a funny thing there of um, if you email all of your customers or all of your residents is, is possibly a better term in this case and say, hey, we've had a cyber attack. Click here to find out more. Are people just going to think that that's a phishing email or are they going to be suspicious of that announcement itself and therefore, you know, not click through? Um, how do you actually, you know, technically get that message sent out? If you have, you know, 135,000 residents or 100,000 customers, whatever's the appropriate term for your organization, can you just mail blast all of your residents and say, we've been hit by a ransomware attack? Or will you get spam house? Will you get, you know, um, blocked for, for spamming? Will these um, reputational organizations blacklist your email for sending out, you know, bunk, bulk email shots? That's the thing to consider. That's not a, a a technical challenge that you can't overcome. But my point here is, um, 
overcome that technical challenge today, consider this issue uh, and, and get a plan in place before you've been hit by ransomware and you realize that you can't send out your email to all of your customers to let them know that you've been impacted because email's down. Things to think about. Um, on, on, the, on the point of a letter, you know, should have really sent out a letter. Um, I, I, I get that. I, I, I do get that. That's uh, possibly a way around the, the phishing email thing, you know, send, send all of your residents um, letters. For, for an organization, uh, for a company, that, that might be harder because, you know, do you have postal addresses for all of your customers? Can you be sure that those postal addresses are up to date? Maybe that's hard. For a council, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm naive here, but, but maybe that's easier because you know where your residents are, right? Or at least you know the buildings. You could send them out an email that says, hey, we just want to let you know this attack's taking place. But, but even so... Um, is your organization ready to send out 135,000 letters? Do you, do you have the wording? How long would that take you to produce? Can you physically print out 135,000 letters, put them in envelopes and mail them out? Now, I'm sure there's a third-party service that would be able to provide that to you, or I'm sure you could, with correct planning, put something together that allows you to do that. But, you know, if you had to do that today, that would possibly be a, be a challenge. And all of these challenges can can be overcome, but it's a, it's a thing to bear in mind. You know, handling the PR side of a breach can be can be way harder than you might naively consider. It isn't necessarily just um, putting the head of PR in front of um, some cameras, getting a statement out there, you know, making sure the statement is technically accurate, represents the best information that you have at the time, and then physically getting it in front of the right people. That that can be can be pretty difficult. My final point on on ransomware attacks and and kind of the the public response uh, to this particular. Um, incident is how is a customer so so putting the the other hat on here how is a, a resident or a customer can you have confidence in an organization's security it's pretty difficult if an organization has just been breached then maybe it's fair to say their security is not up to standard but before that happens if you're maybe selecting between different companies to work for how how do you know that they're good you know, we, we spoke recently, I was on a, a panel at Tice in London. I'm talking about supply chain risk. Supply chain risk is a really difficult thing for an organization with an established IT department, an established legal department to handle. You know, how as a consumer, can you grade that? And I've seen different people trying to do different things. So they'll they'll look at, you know, the, the, the public websites of, uh, of a company and they'll look at in fact, one of the comments I saw on, on, a, on a media article about um, Red Current Cleveland Borough Council was that um, someone had worked with them previously and they said, you know, in their opinion, their comms and server rooms are a disgrace. You know, there was, there was cables everywhere. They were a mess. It was the worst I've ever seen. And that might be true. Those comms rooms might be messy or dirty. It doesn't necessarily mean their security is inherently flawed. You know, that's a, that's a bad metric. Maybe it's an indication, but, but on its own, that, that's not a great metric. So how can consumers know that companies have, have decent security? That's a, that's a really difficult problem for just, you know, day-to-day -day people. We used to, and I think anyone who's worked in security for a while has, has seen these things and, and, and probably finds them laughable. But no, you used to see websites that have like little um, image badges on them that says, you know, protected by so-and-so security or, you know, we have... Uh, an SSL connection to this website, and therefore we are secure because 128-bit encryption. And um, anyone who works in security tends to laugh at these things, certainly for any organization in 2020 who is using SSL as an outdated protocol. 
But what other means do do normal people have for knowing that organizations they're interacting with are secure and are going to handle their data well? I want to leave off on that point because basically just want to leave that to the audience and say, you know what, I can talk to you about how ransomware works, how ransomware is maybe uh, developing over time, how in my experience you can do PR well, bring up all these points, I can help organizations in that way. But um, I'd, I'd love to know, in your opinion, how do you know a company's good? If, if you want to work with an organization, you know, how do you know that they're, they're good? How does your company handle supply chain risk when you've got lots of suppliers and knowing the way that they're practicing things is pretty difficult? I think we've all seen those supplier questionnaires that ask about, you know, do you follow certain ISO standards? How do you handle data? What data processing are you doing? Do you have subcontractors? Those kinds of things. Um, do companies consider those questionnaires effective? You know, how, how does your organization handle supply chain risk? I think this is a big thing at the moment. Um, definitely when we see attacks like ransomware, supply chain risk can be a way into an organization. I mentioned the target breach uh, of 2013, that came through a third party effectively. Um, the HVAC vendor's credentials were compromised. So there was a, a third party aspect to that breach. Let me know over social media. I'd love to know if anyone thinks that they've got the answer to supply chain risk. Um, or if not, then uh, we'll all have a good old rant about how, hey, actually, you know what? It's a pretty hard problem. And uh, of course, thank you for listening. Let us know on social media what you think. And I will see you in the next podcast.